We welcome you to our Bible study as the radio Bible class streams across the nation and around the world. We bring to a message how Christ ministers to his disciples after the resurrection. We greet you on the internet and radio with a message that Jesus is alive today. Now today's lesson is titled, Don't Give Up, and it comes from 2 Kings 5, 1 through 14. But before we start our lesson today, Word Talk Inc., the nonprofit arm of WMER, could use your support. And you may not know this, but WMER, Word Talk Inc., is not supported by some small group of large donors or a giant corporation or some big church. We need people like you to support Word Talk Inc. and WMER with your tax-deductible gift. Now, we are thankful for all gifts. It doesn't matter the size, whether it's a one-time gift or a monthly pledge. But if God lays it on your heart, please make a contribution. If you enjoy the music and the preaching and the teaching right here on WMER, then please make a contribution. Now, tax-deductible gifts to Word Talk Inc. can be made safely and easily by calling us at 601-483-8648, and there they can take your credit card information over the phone. Or send us your gift to Word Talk Inc., P.O. Box 4334, Meridian, Mississippi 39304. Your gift to Word Talk Inc. is IRS approved as a 501c3 tax-exempt ministry. Hebrews 13.16 says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Imagine if you had attended a well-known university or college. You know, you graduated with honors. Now you're this very intelligent person. You've got this good job. You're with a large company. Then you work really hard, you work long hours, and over time you get these key promotions, and eventually you work your way all the way up to be CEO of the company. Now, as CEO, you grow that business, and it expands, and it grows further across countries, it expands the reach that it has and what it sells, and people say, now you've made it. You made a name for yourself. You know, you're a smart person, you're well-educated, you're a known entity in your field, you're highly respected, and not to mention, you're rich. But then all of a sudden you feel this body in your pain, and the doctor tells you that your sickness is terminal. How do you think you would feel? The doctor says you have cancer and you only have three months to live or six months to live. You would be devastated. It's really just that simple. All that hard work, all the education, all the riches, not to mention the large company and all the employees that you're in charge of, suddenly mean nothing to you. Today, maybe God's put a dream in your heart. Maybe he's given you a vision of something, something grand, but yet no matter how hard you try, it seems like you're devastated. Well, today in the second book of Kings, we're going to see a man that was in this very situation. His name was Naaman. He was the son of Benjamin. He was a captain in the Syrian army. The Bible says he was a great man of valor. Naaman was a great leader. He was really smart. He was brave. He was courageous. He had won many battles. Naaman had the whole world right in the palm of his hands. He had everything that the world could give him. You could say he was at the top of his world. But unfortunately, there was a bad secret that he had. You could say that he had a condition that made everything that he had that the world saw as great and as recognizable and riches and all that mean nothing. So let's look at 2 Kings verses 1 through 14. And I'll be reading out of the ESV. 
Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor. Because of him, the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. So let's just stop right there at verse 1 for now. So we see right here in verse 1 that Naaman was the captain of the king of Syria. He was the general of that army. Now because of his position, he was second in line to the king himself. That's King Hadad. And he was a man of valor is what it says. It also says that the Lord had given him deliverance. He had won many battles. What I want you to also understand is that Syria and Israel were enemies. But it says that God had shown favor and allowed him to win strategic battles. And so it says that the Lord had given him deliverance in Syria. He was a man of honor. He was a, he was a captain. He was a leader among the Syrian people. He was a conqueror. But he was also a castaway. He was a leper. And you've got to understand what a leper is. Back in those days, leprosy was a terminal sickness. It was much like cancer or AIDS that we have today. His life, as he knew it, was going to be over. Naaman was going to die, and sometime soon. He was supposed to be quarantined because he was contagious. He was supposed to shout out that he's unclean because there was no cure. It's kind of ironic. Here is Naaman, the captain, a very powerful man. But yet with this sickness, he's powerless. He's sick. His position in the army now means absolutely nothing to him. His intelligence means nothing. All the battles that he's won, they mean nothing. And all the achievements that he's made throughout his life, they are all insignificant. What you have to understand is that leprosy had no cure at the time. It would turn your skin scaly white. You would start losing feeling at your extremities, and then it would move inward. And then over time, you would start losing the peripherals of your body, your fingers, your toes, then your hand, your arm, your leg, your foot. Leprosy was incurable, and it was considered a long, slow death. One of the things I want you to see with Naaman's condition, leprosy, that it is a parallel, it's a foreshadowing of sin. Leprosy would affect the body and eventually lead to death. The Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. What we know about sin is like leprosy. It starts off, but over time it corrupts the entire body, which eventually leads to death. That sin in your life separates you from others, just like leprosy made people have to be separated. And to be cured of leprosy took a miraculous healing. Well, guess what? There is a miraculous healing today for the sin that's in your life. It's through Jesus Christ and the blood that was shed on the cross. By believing on him, he can fix your condition, your sinful condition. Now let's continue reading. We'll start with verse 2. Now the Syrians on one of their other raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. So what we see right here in verse 2 and 3 is that there's this young girl that's been taken captive. And she's a servant in Naaman's wife's house. And she told them of a prophet that lives in Samaria that could cure him of this dreaded disease that would lead ultimately to his death. Samaria was the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel. 
But after Naaman found out about this prophet, he said, there's great news. I believe there's a couple of things we can pick up right here. First of all, Naaman is surrounded by a good person. We need to be careful who we surround ourselves with. Here, Naaman has a condition, and yet there's a good person. There's a slave girl that tells him about a cure through a prophet through God. How many friends do you have that when you start into trouble, when you have a problem, point you immediately to God? We need to surround ourselves with more people like this slave girl. If you look back at verse 3, we can see the concern in her voice to her, her master, Naaman's wife. He said, she says, if he would just go see the prophet in Samaria, he could be cured of leprosy. There is deep concern. Too many times we have friends because of our status, because of our job, because of what we do or what we can provide. Here we see someone that is concerned over that person because of that person. We need people around us that are concerned about our spiritual life, not just our physical life. The other thing we see that it really is a short, simple, but sure message that she gives. Just like we need to hear with God's word that it's really that simple. God came to die for your sins and he can cure you of your sins. You just have to believe on him and the blood that was shed on the cross. Pray to make him Lord of your life and you will be saved. It's really that simple. And she understood the power of God. So we now understand Naaman's condition and we understand his consideration. And let's look at what he does with this consideration. He goes to the king. Look at verse four with me. So Naaman went in and told the Lord, thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, go now and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent you Naaman, my servant, that you may cure him of leprosy. And when the king of Israel read this letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and make alive that this man sends me word to cure a man of leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. And we'll stop right there. So I think there's a couple of things here that we can learn from this. First, they went to the wrong person. Now, I believe Naaman understood who he was supposed to go see, which was the prophet, which was God. Elijah was acting on God's behalf, speaking on God's behalf. He was a man of God. Yet the king sends him to the king of Israel really believe that there's someone listening that really needs to hear this. You need to find God and not some pastor. You need to find God, not some evangelist. Yes, they can enlighten you and they can bring you to God, but you need to go to God. Too many times we go to God as our last resort and not our first choice. Just like I told you earlier, we need to be surrounded. We need to be embedded in a body of Christ. We need to have folks that want something good for us, we also need to understand we need to go to God first. Too many times we go to people first. You know, the king was powerful, but there was limits to what he could do. He was not acting on the behalf of God. There was only one that could save. Acts 4.12 says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. 
Only God can save us. It's only through the work of Jesus Christ. So we got to be careful who we turn to. Too many times we turn to man first and God as our last resort instead of putting him as our first resort. The second thing we can see is that he had the wrong price. In verse 5 it says that he departed and he took 10 talents of silver and 6,000 pieces of gold and 10 changes of clothes. You know, that would be like a half a million dollars today. And what he didn't understand was that his salvation was going to be free. His salvation couldn't be bought. And we need to learn that as well. Our salvation is free. It's already been paid in full. All we have to do is ask for it. All we have to do is believe and accept it. It's not about the works that we do. It's not about doing better. It's not about us becoming worthy of it. God loves you already. And he died for you while you were yet a sinner. And last we see the king of Israel, King Jehoram, lacked faith and courage. He had a God that was in a box. It had a limit. It had a false ceiling. The God of his mind, was this was too big of an ask. And as it says in verse 6, once he read the letter, he thought that King Hadad thought that he was supposed to cure him of leprosy. And he knew that it was an incurable disease. And he, listen to what he says in verse 7. Am I God to kill and make a lie that this man sends me? He wants me to cure him of leprosy? All he's really doing is a secret quarrel with me. All he's really doing is wanting to start a fight with me. He wants a reason to attack Israel again. So we see some of the confusion that Nahum had and even the players in this event that's going on. But there's even more confusion. Look with me at verse 8. But when Elijah, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me, that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Nahum came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elijah's house. And Elijah sent out a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. But Nahum was angry and went away, saying, Behold, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God, wave his hands over this place, and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters in Israel? Could I not wash them and be clean? So he turned away and went in a rage. We'll stop right there again. So we see that Nahum still is confused. You know, he had the wrong person, he had the wrong price, but now we don't know how, but Elijah has heard that the king of Israel, Jehoram, has torn his robe. And he says, just send him to me. So what Elijah wanted him to see, wanted Nahum to see, is that there is only one way. God is our only way. Jesus is the only way. John 14, 6 shows us that. It says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so Elijah says, send him to me. I will help him find the way. He's looking for the wrong one. He needs to be seeking God. And then we see the next part of his confusion. He had the wrong perception. In verse 11, you know, Naaman was wroth and he went away and said, Behold, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord and strike his hands over this place. He would fix me as a leper. Naaman had a way that he thought that God should do things. 
Naaman had uh, an expectation and he wanted God to do it his way. Too many times we find ourselves just like Naaman. We tell God how to solve the problem. We show up with an expectation of what God should do. God answers that prayer, but it may not be the way that you prayed it. God answers that situation that you're in, but it may not be the way that you think it should be done. God may answer a prayer with your loved one, someone that you're fighting with, maybe your marriage. Maybe it's you that God wants to work on to make that marriage come alive. Too many times we pray, God, please change my spouse. When God really wants to change us so that our spouse will change. Too many times we say, God, take away the sickness. Yet God wants us to have the sickness so that we can show a way and a truth and he can get the glory from that sickness. Too many times we say, God, help me have more money. When God wants to give us just enough so that we will always depend on him. So what we see, Nahum had the wrong perspective. Proverbs 16.25 says, There is a way that seems right unto man, but to the end there it leads to death. And then the other part of his having the wrong perception is that you know, it didn't seem like it made much sense. You know, he said, I got rivers in Damascus that better than the river of Jordan. Why do I have to go to the river of Jordan? It didn't make any sense to him. Listen to what Paul told the Corinthians. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So sometimes it doesn't make sense. But as Paul told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 1.18, that it seems folly, it seems foolish. It doesn't make sense when we are perishing. But those that know God understand the power of God. God spoke through Elijah and he told Naaman to go down to the muddy river and dunk seven times in that river Jordan. It may not be the cleanest water. It may not make a lot of sense, but do it. But Naaman gets mad. But look at his conversion. Look with me at the rest of the verses. Verses 13 and 14. But a servant came near to him and said, My father, it is a great word that the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. So let's put this in modern English. The servant comes up and says, If the prophet had asked you to do something hard heroic, would you not have done it? Would you not have climbed the biggest mountain? Would you not have killed the largest army? Would you not have been brave and courageous? So why not do this simple act and be washed and be clean like he says? It's as simple as what have you got to lose? Why wouldn't you try it? We need to learn from this as well. Too many times we trust in ourselves. Too many times we're like Naaman and we say, well, that doesn't make any sense. I can do it this way, or how's that going to work? I still need money. I still need that person to change. I still need that medicine to be made whole. But we put God in a box. We trust on ourselves, and we put God at the same level we're at. We think there is a God, because we wouldn't have prayed to him, but we believe that God's going to do it our way because we really put the trust in ourselves. 
And we see that here. Naaman would have continued to have pride and he would have continued on life just trusting himself. He had done everything to get himself to that status. He didn't need God to do it, or so he thought. And too many times we miss out what God wants for us because we don't listen to God. We do it in our own way and in our own mind. Last thing I want you to see is his confession. Part of his confession was that he had to admit that he couldn't do it. He had to give up his pride and he had to submit. And so he did it. He went down and he immersed himself seven times. He followed the order that God gave him. The Bible says that his skin was healed. It was like the skin of a little baby. And that's the other thing we need to understand. God didn't just heal him, but God restored him and gave him something good, something new. Too many times we are just like Naaman. We have a thing called pride. How many times has God told you to do something? How many times have you even thought you were being obedient, but you didn't go the last little bit? Here we see his confession because he followed the order. He humbled himself. But there are times that we've been given a vision. There's a time that we've been given a promise and that we give up on it before we dunk the seventh time. I imagine as he went down in that muddy water the first time, the second time, maybe even the third time, he's coming up and he's looking to see is there any change. I can imagine he's still thinking that this isn't doing any good. Now, probably by the fifth or the sixth time that he went down, God was healing him. He just hadn't healed him yet physically. God wants us to show him our faith. God wants to see our obedience. God wants to see our humility. And maybe today you're facing a crisis just like Naaman. God can use that crisis so that he can get rid of that self-pity, that he can get rid of that pride and we start seeing faith and humility and we see spiritual healing in our life. A crisis just like Naaman will bring out submission in our lives to him. We see later on that Naaman thought he was going to be able to buy his healing with all that silver and gold, but Elijah tells him, no, I don't want it. And we need to understand that we can't buy God's love, you can't buy God's healing, and you can't buy his gifts. You get it because you obey. You get it because you believe. You get it because you make him Lord of your life. On that fifth dip and on that sixth dip, he had to come up. He had to wonder, am I really going to be healed? But he didn't give up. Naaman dipped that seventh time. As he went down on that seventh dip, you got to think, he's thinking, is it really going to happen? And then he comes up and he's healed from this leprosy. But not only was he healed, it says that his flesh was that of a little child. He was made whole. He was restored better than what he had lost. Listen to 1 Samuel 2, 2 through 8. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is no one beside you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him his actions are weighed. The bow of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. For the Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. 
The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with the princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and on them he has set the world. And what I want you to understand is that this is what Naaman learned that day. It was God who did this. I imagine as he sees himself and he's looking at his cleansing is his restoration. He's remembering how mad he was, how angry he was, how prideful he was, all the pity he thought he should have because of who he was. And yet all it took was a simple act to follow. Go out to the muddy waters of the Jordan and dip seven times and you'll be healed. Our salvation from sin is no different. It really is that simple. Our salvation from the time that we're in right now, whatever it is, whether it's money, whether if it's a relationship, whether if it's a job, whatever the situation is, our salvation is that simple. We have to give it to God. If you go on and read the rest of this chapter, and I'm out of time so I don't have it, you find out Naaman didn't just get healed, he got saved. He came back wanting to give him money and Elijah wouldn't accept his money. See, what Elijah wanted him to understand is that he couldn't buy his salvation. He couldn't buy his healing. So let me close with this final thought. Are you like Naaman today? Are you facing some crisis in your life? Maybe there's some physical crisis in your marriage, or maybe there's a problem with a friendship or a relationship. Maybe there's a financial crisis that's in your life. Maybe there's a job that's about to go away. Whatever it is, whatever that crisis is, God is bigger than it. Trust God today. Naaman was forced to look away from all that he achieved. He had to look away from his wisdom. And he had to took his eyes off himself. And he had to put them on God. He had to quit focusing on what he could do. And he had to believe in the salvation of, of God. And I tell you, that's what you have to do today. Stop looking at your power. Put it in God's power. Put it in his hands. Trust in him today. Naaman's life was changed forever, and we see that in this story. And your life can be changed too. It's a matter of just believing in God and putting it in his hands. If God can use a slave girl, a maid, to save a general, what can he do for you? All he's asking is that you come and be cleansed. Come and be made whole. Let us pray. Dearly Father, we come before you, Lord. We thank you for this time together, Lord. We thank you for showing us these principles that we can learn from that mighty work you did with Naaman. Lord, how you used a maid to speak and get him to take his focus off himself and look back to you. Lord, that he couldn't do it in his wealth. He couldn't do it in his honor. He couldn't do it in his valor. He couldn't do it in his strength. It was only you that could make him well. Lord, let us understand that we are walking around sick. Just like Naaman had a disease that would eventually bring death, we have a disease that will bring us to death if we don't come to you, if we don't accept you as Lord of our life. Sin will take us further than we want to go. And your word tells us that it leads us down a path that leads to death. Heavenly Father, I just pray right now that you would save that one that doesn't know you. The one that hasn't asked you to be Lord of their life. Lord, I pray today would be the day. Lord, they would ask you. They would believe on your finished work on the cross, the blood that you shed, even though they didn't deserve it. 
Lord, that they would say, I want you to be Lord of my life. Come in, be Lord of my life. I surrender to you, just like Naaman surrendered his pride and he went and dunked seven times. Lord, I pray for the one that has been trying to do it in their own strength. They know about you, but they have an image of a smaller God. They've put you in a false room where there's a ceiling in their mind that you can't go above. Lord, I pray right now that you would bust those walls. You would bust that ceiling away and they would come to you and they would ask you to help them see how big you really are. Lord, we thank you for the many blessings you give us. We ask this all in your name. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.